All right, so tonight, tonight is April 22nd. 2009, I have never done very well with preaching series. The last several weeks have been my best attempt at one, and uh, we are about to bring it to its conclusion. We have covered the heavenly host. Uh, some people started referring to it as the heavenly hierarchy. We talked about everything that exists in the heavens, whether we're talking about a Melchizedek priesthood or a temple that is there, or angels, or seraphim, or cherubim, or elders, or a sea of glass, or living creatures, all of those things. We talked about the theories that people have kicked around about how and when Satan fell and what he was. We did our very best to shine some light on all of the non-biblical concepts. We talked about the cross being a dividing line in human history, where the accuser of the brethren was cast down, and the salvation and power of God showed up on earth. We showed you that the scripture said the prince of this world now stands condemned. That the cross was the dividing line in history. Then we began to look at trampling upon the enemy. The authority that we have in Christ. When we are obedient to his word, his authority, his dominion, his realm extends to us and moves through us. So that everywhere we go, like a few minutes ago, we can watch Satan fall like lightning from someone's life. Because he no longer has dominion or kingship or rulership in someone's life. But our God has dethroned him and we are his hands and feet. Well, I promised you that we would end with a message about the sulfur stew. So we're going to start in Genesis and we will end with the sulfur stew. Fair enough? Yes. You in the first chapter? Yes. Get to the 26th verse. The brother's fast. Fast. So in the very beginning of all of these things, man was put upon the earth. And uh, verse 26 of the first chapter says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. In the very beginning, mankind was placed here. Adam looked and was made in the image of God. So if you were watching this from a third party perspective, what you would see is something that was made after the design of God placed upon the earth. We covered the entire pre-Adamite theory with the church and I don't want to go through it again. I just want to tell you that if there was not something here when man was put upon the earth, there would be no reason to have to subdue the earth. God put man at the top of the food chain. He put something upon the earth that looked like Him and said, I want you to rule everything. I want you to bring it into subjection. That implies resistance. I was speaking with a police officer today. I didn't get arrested or get a ticket. And if he has to subdue someone, it's because they are resisting. If they were complying, there would be no reason to have to subdue them. There has been a rebellious power on the earth long before man got here. This is why there's a tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. The presence of evil was already here. 
So man is given the task of subduing the earth. This creature that looks like God is told, replenish the earth, multiply yourself all over the earth. But he didn't do so well. In his first real bout, his first real round with the enemy, he gave up God's lordship in his life in an effort to become lord of his own life, choosing for himself what is good and evil, and without meaning to subjected him and everything under him to a rebellious power. Because of that, God sent the Christ, somebody who is the son of a man, somebody who is human flesh, but filled with God's presence to do for us what Adam could not do. This has all been a part of the series. One of the things that I have not talked to you very much about this, you can turn to John 17, is that man's task has always been bringing the earth into subjection, repairing the earth. A couple of you are there. Where are the rest of you? So for 4,000 years of human history, men raised up and they were full of God's presence, God's power, but at times all of them yielded to the enemy until the enemy came face to face with a Jewish carpenter on the sands of Palestine that had not eaten for 40 days and whose flesh was weak, but whose spirit was very, very strong. And every time he was tempted, Yeshua the Hamashiach hit him with the word right between the eyes with a devastating knockout right-handed power of God. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God and I showed you that you sit with Him. Everything that Christ has, everything that Christ is, you are as long as you were in Christ. This was the message that our authority tramples upon the enemy. But we need not forget something. We were put here for a purpose. You were not saved simply to be saved. Ephesians 2 teaches us that you were saved in order to do the good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. That means that when Branson got saved here a few moments ago, he got saved because God has work for him to do. Our goal, our task, needs to be finding out, Lord, what is it that you have purposed for me to do? And then we begin doing it, asking for his help, our trust displayed in our actions. The Jews have a concept for this. It's called tikkun ha-olam. It means to repair the world. They believe that Adam was put upon a planet that had problems. A planet that needed to be brought into subjection to the authority, power, and dominion of God. And because the first man didn't do well with it, God progressively gave revelation to man more and more and more throughout the century, especially to Israel, about the ways in which we can repair the world. And things began to be taught like love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We began to be taught concepts like your relationship with your neighbor is merely a reflection of your relationship with your God. We find out through progressive revelation in the New Testament that you cannot love God that you cannot see if you do not love your neighbor that you can see. So step number one in repairing the world was showing God's love to mankind. Now tell me something. Every day we have an opportunity to extend either heaven or hell into someone's life. If I see Gabe and Gabe has no clothing, 
And Gabe does not have the food that he needs. And I say, be warm and well fed and go on your way. What have I done for him? The book of James says that is worthless religion. But if I clothe him, if I care for him, if I do for him what God would do for him, I am working to repair the world one life at a time. Yes. I have a choice to leave the world broken as it is. To leave it in a situation that the enemy can continue to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Or I have a choice right here and now to extend God's kingdom, His realm, His authority into someone's life by being His hands and feet. When Jesus was about to face the cross in John 17, starting in the 14th verse, He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. I bet it has. The Bible speaks of the word as something that is a catalyst for change. It speaks of the word as something that once injected into a situation will move people either to hot or to cold. The word was never meant to simply pacify a conscience. The word was never meant to say, I'm okay, you're okay, would you like to be blessed? Would you like some more prosperity? Would you like the, do the dope dealer's vehicle? This was never a part of what the Word was for. The Word was supposed to be something that was dynamic. That once it entered Stacy's life, her life would never be the same. Once it touched Gary's life, it would never be the same. We see this displayed before us, not unlike a resurrection from the dead. My father was 56 years old when he got filled with God's Holy Spirit. He picked up a guitar that he hadn't played in years, a piano he hadn't played in years, and he began to write things that were like psalms because the Word dwelt in him. Yeah. And the Word will never leave a situation as it was before it got there. It is a yeast. Listen to what he says. I have given them your Word, and the world has hated them. If you are not hated by anything in the world, any of the powers that we were meant to subdue, it could be because you have already made a compromise and a treaty with them. I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone, and we'll all be good. You will never be happy in that situation. You were built for warfare. You were built to bring the powers on this earth into subjection to God's Word. I have given them your Word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Apparently, Jesus didn't get into the bumper sticker ministry that all the churches had. He was not looking for any chance that he could to escape all the problems upon the planet. Apparently, he didn't care. He took slogans that were meant for Caesar. There is no name save Augustus Caesar by which men can be saved. And his apostles applied them to Jesus. So he apparently didn't worry about the administration of his death. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Why would anybody need to be protected from the evil one? Because you are at war with him. Yes. You are here to take his territory. You were given authority so that when you see his work in someone's life, including your own, you simply say, no. The Word says. And then you live as if the Word were true until you see its fruit in your life. This means that you're an enemy of the enemy. <laughs> this means that you're a target for the adversary. His job had been prosecuting attorney and he has lost his place in the heavens. He has nothing left to do but to lie to you. To tell you you're not good enough. To tell you you're not strong enough. To tell you you're not pretty enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not. You're not. You're not. 
At some point, we need to hold up the Word that is the mirror for our lives and say, the Word says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Get out of my life, devil. When he says you don't have what it takes, you can agree with your adversary quickly and say, you're right, but Jesus does. And everything he has, I have. Everything the Father has, he's given to Jesus and Jesus has given it to me. You are no longer in a courtroom scenario where there is an accuser accusing you and you need a counselor and you're facing a judge. The courtroom scenario looks more like this. The prosecuting attorney has been thrown out on his head. He's been disbarred because he was found cheating. The judge happens to be your counselor's father and you just got adopted in the family. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our goal, our job is to not get out of the world. We are not looking for a way to hide inside this church building. We're not looking for a way to take a vow and go hide in a cave and call that holiness. It's the furthest thing from holiness. Holiness is when you plunge yourself into the midst of the world and change it. Holiness is not what you don't do for Jesus. It is what you do for Jesus. I know Halloween is an ugly holiday. You might consider getting outside your house and bringing about change rather than hiding inside your house. I know that nearly every day of the week, our days are named after foreign gods. But you don't hide in your house on Monday because it's a Roman god or Saturday because it's a Roman god. You have no problem celebrating Christmas and its very season of Advent celebrated the worship of the emperors. Our job is to be plunged into a situation that is corrupt into a world that has already experienced rebellion. And in our life, people should see something different, something more powerful than rebellion. Submission. And when they see submission to the King of Kings, they realize His realm extends to you. And if His realm extends to you, then His blessing extends to you. His authority extends to you. You can even be His ambassador, Paul said. So that when you speak, you speak the very words of God. It is as if God Himself is making His plea to Stephanie Durbeck through someone else. God can speak through a human being who is submitted to Him to set you free. I began explaining to a brother today that the reason John wrote the way that he did, he said nobody has ever seen God, not at any time, except the one and only who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. To us, God is a concept that is difficult to grasp. It's bigger than we are. So God poured Himself into a human being so that when you want to know what God would do, how would God fix the world? How is God fixing the world? You find out He did it one life at a time. One prostitute at a time. One tax collector at a time. One adulteress at a time. Even one Pharisee at a time. How do we repair the world, saints? We get busy doing what we are supposed to do. You first bring the enemies that are attacking you in subjection to God's Word. That battle starts in your mind. It flows through your heart and spirit and works its way into the fruit that is your life. Then secondly, you begin sharing your testimony and the blood of the Lamb with those that are around you. And you watch the kingdom take root in their life. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify. This word in Hebrew has to do with setting apart. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
For them I sanctify, set myself apart, that they too may be truly sanctified, set apart for God's use. God's idea of you being in the world and not of it is to be sanctified in it. There is no difference from an anatomical standpoint between you and the other 100,000 fans at an LSU football game. But there is something dramatically different about your worldview, about the condition of your spirit and by which the way by which you live your life. And given enough time, they begin to see the fruit on it. And they say, I'm depressed. I'm beat down. I have no hope. I considered killing myself last week. But you have a smile on your face. Why is that? And you begin to teach about the kingdom. You begin to show. I want you to notice that when Jesus began to preach, never once, never at any time did anybody come to Jesus and He lead them through a sinner's prayer so that they could go to heaven. He taught and preached and so did every one of the apostles. The kingdom of heaven is at hand here. Right now. It's about to envelop you. It's upon you. You see the kingdom when you see the king's dominion around you. If you die this moment, yes, you do go to a place where His dominion is perfect, but that is not the goal. The goal is to bring that to the earth. Turn with me to Luke 13. If you don't turn, I'll get my feelings hurt. I'm such a fragile, delicate flower. I had a bad habit of saying the word pansy when I preached. I've been trying to run with the idea that a pansy is a flower, but it's not working for me. I just want you to know that I am getting better. It used to be panty waste. Now it's pansy. So I am improving. That's also the process of sanctification at work. And my wife's finger. No, no, no. Y'all ready for Luke 13? In Luke 13, we find in brief form what the kingdom of God is like. Luke 13, starting in verse 20. 18. 20. And again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The idea is that the pot of dough is much larger in quantity. If you had to think about it, it would be much bigger with its mass than the yeast would. But that which is little, as little as a mustard seed, would eventually grow. It would spread. It would work its way through every corner of the dough. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It started in Patricia's heart decades ago, but it has been working out of her heart till it infected her son and her son's friends and her distant relatives. And everywhere she went, that yeast is working through the dough. As this happens upon the planet, the planet begins to change. It begins to be at war with that which is holding the planet captive now. The first enemy that was ever introduced into mankind is death. And the Bible declares that it is the last enemy to be put down. But hear me, saints. It will be put down. Our trust in that is how we go to a funeral with a brother with a smile on our face. I tell you, if I get struck down before you do, put on your Hawaiian t-shirts and have a blast. Because there will not be a grave that will hold this body down. There will be a day when you have to put a sign that says, watch out for flying rocks. Because this earth is not going to hold down that which has become incorruptible in God. After Luke 13, I just want to quote to you a very simple, straightforward passage from Romans. It's Romans 12, 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
We could conjugate all the Greek verbs for you if you like, and it would say the same thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the weapons of our warfare is that we do good when others do evil. That when somebody gives you the one-finger salute in traffic, you return it with a praise and a smile. And good will overcome evil. How many of you are in a place in life where the devil has done everything he could do to destroy you? But one kind-hearted person can change your entire day. We have authority to do good. Authority to build up and not tear down. We have the authority of the living God to love those that others overlook. To cleanse those that others see as lepers. We're supposed to be repairing the earth. This is a big part of Judaism in Jesus' death. They did not see themselves as recipients of God's covenants so that they could simply fly away. They saw themselves as recipients of God's covenant so that they could be made chief among the nations and the law would go out from Zion and all nations would stream to Israel. And they would stream to Israel grabbing two men, grabbing one Jew by the shoulder, saying, what must we do to walk in covenant with your God? In fact, the picture looks something like Isaiah describes in Isaiah 11. So let's turn there. No pages turning? Y'all gave up on me already? See, that's a problem with a small church. You give up on me, I, I know. I know your names. Isaiah 11. Two of you are there. You're all there? You're just waiting on me? Everybody's there. I'm the last one to arrive. What happens when you take the short bus? You ready? 11-1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You want to know what God is like? God possesses all of those things. That's awesome. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or will he decide by what he hears with his ears? You ever seen a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? That'd be a good thing to consider. He does not judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. He is depending upon something that Adam and Eve refused to depend upon. Adam and Eve did not need a knowledge of good and evil. All they needed was God to tell them what they should and should not do. They did not want that, so they rejected it to gain the knowledge for themselves. The problem is our eyes and our ears are deceptive. Samson found out that he saw better without his eyes than with them. He did more in his death than he did in all of his struggling life. In short, Christianity is a return to a garden-like state. Lord, I no longer trust my eyes. I no longer trust my ears. Instead, I will trust in your word and it will show up in my actions. You tell me what I should see in this situation. Did you know that the Bible says the earth is full of the glory of God? It says the earth in Isaiah, the earth is full of the glory of God. Tell me the truth. When you watch the news, do you see that the earth is full of the glory of God? I don't. One of the minor prophets said, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like water covers the sea. See, it's not made known yet. Glory of God is all over the earth, but it takes a trained eye and ear just to see it. Our eyes and ears deceive us in every situation, no matter how dim, no matter how dark, God is working for His glory 
We need to be trained to see it. And there is only one way to be trained. In His Word and by His Spirit. He will not judge by what He sees with His eyes or decide by what He hears with His ears. But with righteousness, He will judge the needy. With justice, He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of His mouth. Anybody want to guess what the rod of His mouth is? The Word. The Word. The Word is the only weapon you will ever need. You feel ugly, what does the Word say? You are radiant. You feel stupid, what does the Word say? Any wisdom you need can be given from God. You feel lowly, what does the Word say? You're a child of the resurrection. Yes. What does the Word say, saints? Your authority flows from it. With the breath of His lips, He will slay the wicked. That's good news. Righteousness will be His belt, and faithfulness the sash around His waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right now, it is not that way. Because you still have a job to do. You still have something that most of the church is waiting for God to do. We even do something that is horrible. There are areas of this world when you look, you say, wow, there's child molestation there. You look and see another and say, wow, there's extreme poverty there. Wow, AIDS has ravaged that whole continent. What a God-forsaken place. Saints, there is no God-forsaken place. The church was put upon the earth to do something. To repair yes. the world. God does not forsake places. The church does. The church forsakes places. You need to rethink the way we say that. What a church forsaken place. And if the church is forsaking a person, a place, some continent, or some workplace, what are you going to do about it? We were put here to repair the world. Say, so, but I can't do anything about the tide of devastation that's there. You can do something about the one life that God brought you into contact yes. with. And one life at a time, you can advance the kingdom of God. Jesus took 12 lives, one of which was a devil, and changed the world so that you write your checks by the date of His birth. And it started with 11 men in only three years. How much time have you had to advance the kingdom? What have you done with it? A good friend of mine, when I turned 33, I'm now 34, said, no pressure, Eric, but by your age, Jesus had provided salvation for the whole world. What a standard to live up to. And people admire Alexander the Great for conquering the world in a few short years. He didn't conquer it. He made a treaty with the guy that already owned it. And you know what it cost Alexander? The death of a drunkard and the loss of an eternal salvation. See, the demonic powers all negotiate for rulership. They make treaties with one another and satanic powers that look like brides and are really whores masquerade around like they're doing something good. Humanitarian work to cover their nastiness. There is only one power that God has put upon the earth to change it, and it is the church of the living God. And that is you, saints. That is you. 
So if the world is supposed to turn into a place where a wolf and a lamb can lay down together, where my little Abby can put her hand in the den of a viper, how is that going to happen? Turn with me to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 says, uh, verse 6, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of Welsh's grape juice. <laughs> I guess you could twist the Word of God to fit a southern denomination's preferences if you like. But in the millennial reign, it's aged wine. A banquet of aged wine. I wonder why you age it. The best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Yes. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all of the earth. There is a mountain in Israel, a mountain in which the resurrection of the dead will start. Zechariah and the book of Matthew call it the Mount of Olives. And on that mountain will begin a resurrection that lasts 24 hours as every eye sees it happening. The dead in Christ will rise and not one living will go before them and every eye will see it because the disgrace of God's people will be absolutely wiped away. As lightning is visible when it flashes in the east all the way over in the west, so will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. He is coming for those that are repairing the earth and He is going to empower them. He's going to put them in bodies that will never die and the whole world will watch. Turn with me then to Revelation 20. Now, let's go to Corinthians 15. We're going to finish in Revelation 20. I know it would be a lot easier just to say, come down here, repeat after me die, go to heaven, and we will give you a gift certificate, and by the way, on your way out, get a tithe envelope. If you come back on Sundays, we'll give you donuts, and on Wednesdays, we'll give you pizza. And we're building a beautiful gymnasium. Do nothing to repair the world. Instead, take the most powerful force on the planet, people with the devastating knockout power of God at their disposal, and treat them like tame kittens instead of lions. Put together nursery school. Give them childlike roles. You were made to conquer kingdoms yeah. for God. Mm -hmm. I tell you the truth. One serious Christian with no arms and legs can ravage the kingdom that is called hell. Mm. With no arms and no legs, imagine what you can do. <coughs> we have been treated like infants in Christ and called it mature so long that we don't know how to walk like Christ. And it's time. It's time to stand up and do what God's called us. There's a sulfur stew that is starting to brew. And we're going to get to that. You've been around sulfur? I was once swimming in the Dead Sea. And one of the things that is a byproduct there is sulfur. And crazy Europeans, they pump this stuff out. And uh, they have actual sulfur water. It stinks. I mean, it is horrible. It smells like Matthew on chili night. And... Uh, <laughs> Sulfur stew is not something anyone wants to eat. Are you in Corinthians 15? Yeah. In Corinthians 15, we're going to give you the short version because Eric is running out of time. 
I don't know how to give the short version. Let's start in verse 20. That would be as short as I can do. By the way, the first few verses of chapter 15, it comes to us in Greek and then to English. But if you translate the Greek back to its Hebrew cognates, this is a very Hebraic way to say this. In fact, it's the way that a rabbi would train a student. When he says, now I want to remind you, this is a phrase in Hebrew that means commit what I'm saying to memory. And the rabbis very much expected their students to be able to repeat it verbatim. So when we're reminding you of the gospel that Paul preached, it extends from 15 all the way through the end, and he expected the Corinthian church to quote it verbatim, even to a certain rhyme and meter, just like at a bar mitzvah. Anybody been to bar mitzvahs? Gentile church, but we do get to eat crawfish. You ready for the 20th verse? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father after He has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This means that God has entrusted to mankind the authority and the ability to put everything upon the planet that is in rebellion to Him under our feet. And where the first man, Adam, the federal head of the human race, was failing, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and He reached down into a man, perfectly prepared, birthed of the Word, named Yeshua. And in Him all the fullness of the deity dwelt, so that He is called God over all. And that man, that human being, showed that He has dominion over everything on the planet, by showing that he had power over death, the first visible enemy of God on the planet. His job and your job in him is to put down all the enemies of God. Everyone. No matter what it is, no matter where you face it, no matter whether you're tired, you're happy, no matter what is going on in your life, you have dominion. Unless, of course, you don't know it. You know, the Bible does not say that the devil is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When you read 1 Peter 5 closely, it says he is like a roaring lion. Reinhard Bunker likes to say he is like a chihuahua with a megaphone. See, the truth is you are the most dangerous thing on the planet, but he has tricked many of you into not knowing that you are the most dangerous thing on the planet, so you believe his lie. So I have believed his lie. And the whole time he is stealing from you. He is lying to you. He is destroying and devouring you because that's what He does. He has no more authority. His only power is subversion. And you know how you crush that? With submission to Yahweh God. You do what He says, when He says to do it, no matter whether or not people like it, don't like it, whether it seems wise, not wise. If you've never been asked to do anything that looks irresponsible for God, you may never really have moved in faith because faith always puts something at risk or it would not be called trust. You ready for Revelation 20? Because i got to get to the sulfur stew. I don't normally even contain messages to an hour, so 30 minutes is pretty hard to do. And we're not going to make that tonight either, but we're going to get close. 
God created DVRs so that you could pay attention in church. <laughs> you ready for Revelation 20? Yes. Yep. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. You know, I really should have read you 2 Thessalonians 2. So let me tell you what it says. It says, don't you be alarmed, thinking that the day of the Lord had already come. It said, for the man of lawlessness needs to be revealed, and the rebellion needs to occur first. But don't worry, because when he goes into a temple and exalts himself over everything that is called God or worshipped, in other words, he claims to be the supreme authority, the dominion, the king, you'll see Jesus come destroy him with the fire of his mouth and the glory of his coming. So you want to know when Jesus comes? Look for him burning somebody in a temple. That would be a real good clue. The whole world is in rebellion to God if you are not in the kingdom of God. And the absolute personification of that is a man who claims to be God and is worshipped as God in a temple in Israel. And Jesus will come back and reclaim that throne too. But he actually burns the guy. That's kind of cool, isn't it? You know, our salvation always includes their rectum pence. That's not preached either, but I don't have time to do it. So now, we have seen Jesus burn this guy. He's here. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil. Uh, this is a side note, but just for fun, if his name was Lucifer... If it was Lucifer and if Isaiah named him correctly in 740 B.C., which y'all all know, I don't believe that. Then why would it say it this way? Why wouldn't it just say Lucifer? Hmm. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or hands. Apparently they weren't looking to be delivered from the world. They were trying to repair it. And so they suffered wrath from the enemy during that time. Not the wrath of God. The wrath of the enemy. Did you know that the Psalms actually say that it's precious in God's sight when there's a martyr for him? It says, precious in his sight is the blood of the saints. That's a strange verse. You ought to look it up. Mm -hmm. He loves it when we will not shrink from death because we trust his word. When we don't even consider death worth something submitting to. These people lost their lives for something. Apparently they didn't just fly away. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is at the beginning of the millennial reign, at the parousia, the close of the age. This is when the sons of God are revealed. The creation that has been subject to frustration finally gets to sigh, sigh a breath of release. The sons of God are revealed. The rest of the dead, those who did not have faith in Yeshua as the Hamashiach, do not rise at this time. And of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. 
When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle. In number they are like sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Does that sound much like a battle? You've heard much to do about Armageddon your whole life, haven't you? This is Armageddon. Now I realize there are bowls of wrath, there are seals, there are a lot of really neat things. These all describe an age in which there is an Antichrist. At this point, there is no Antichrist. This is the battle to end all battles. By the way, Armageddon is no such thing. It is a valley called Har-Megiddo. It means the valley of Megiddo. And it describes a place in Israel, a place where Solomon had a mountain and horse stables on top. Look into it. It will set you free. It's exciting. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and false prophet had been thrown. When Jesus returns, he has enough of the Antichrist, the beast and the false prophet. He burns one with the splendor of his coming, the fire from his mouth, and throws them both into a sulfur lake for the thousand years. But the dragon is yet to be dealt with. He's dealt with at the end of the thousand years. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, for there was no place for them. And I saw the dead and great and small standing before the throne, and books were opened. And other book, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. I've taught you many times and in other classes, judgment begins with the house of God. We all stand before the Bema seat of Christ and we give an account for everything done in this body, whether good or bad. It is not just a reward ceremony. It is giving an account for our life. At this point, you're already glorified. You have already reigned with the Lord for a thousand years. This is the dead that are giving an account for their life. Those spiritually dead those that did not partake in the first resurrection. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. By the way, the next thing that happens is a beautiful description of a garden-like setting on the earth because God's reign is all in all. So walking back through our series, what we have is we have we were put upon this planet and there was a problem on it already. We were asked to solve it. Like that young rap star. Got a problem? Hey, yo, I'll solve it. They don't even know about vanilla ice, do they? <laughs> See, we were all deceived by vanilla ice. One hit, one hit. We're put upon the planet to solve a problem. We didn't do so well. God had to bail us out. He came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. In this process, we found out that there is an entire hierarchy of not just angels, but archangels. Not just archangels, but cherubim and seraphim and elders and God and a right-hand man of God, Psalm 80 says. We found out that there is a temple in heaven. 
that there is a priesthood in heaven and the things on the earth are merely shadows and copies. But the good news is a man named Yeshua is at the very top of the food chain. He is above everything that can be named or ever has been named. And you are seated with Him. Now our job is to continue what the very first man was told to do. Subdue the earth. Replenish it. Multiply. Fill it with the presence of God. We will do this while the world gets worse and worse and worse. It will choose its leader even as we have chosen ours. As much as ours is an ultimate source of righteousness, He will be an ultimate source of deception. Those who refuse to love the truth, God will send a delusion and they will perish. 2 Thessalonians 2 says. But as the worst get worse and the righteous begin to shine like stars, our King comes back to set up the physical manifestation of what is already in your heart upon the earth. We force the earth back into a setting where wolves don't eat lambs anymore. We force the earth back into a setting where there is no war. In fact, if one nation goes to war against another, we deny them rain for an entire year, the book of Zechariah says. They all come to celebrate with us in Israel a feast of tabernacles commemorating the time we dwelt in these tents and have now received buildings, glorified bodies from God. We do this for a thousand years and then comes another test. It's not a test for you and I. Our choice has already been made. God destroys the enemies of God with a laugh and a breath of fire. Well, what is it about this sulfur stew then? You need to understand that God has a desktop just like windows. And everything on His desktop gets put in order. When it's in order, it's called God being all and all a perfect flow of authority. One of the things that He does to put all things in all is when He finds a virus or something that is a malicious code, something that will not submit to His will, He puts it in something that is not a recycle bin. It is a sulfur stew. God will burn you if you will not get in His will. You have one choice. And that is to follow Him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and find an abundant life. The other choice is to live in hell on earth, awake out of dust in a body that will never die simply to be punished for an eternity as an example of God's judgment because He will be all in all. And every man, woman, child, spiritual power, whatever it is that exists, will be perfectly put in its proper place. The sulfur stew is God's recycle bin. It's what He does with everything that will not function as it's supposed to after thousands of years of mercy and a glorified race of people teaching the rest of the world. Said so this sounds harsh. No, this is God's mercy that He has waited this long that you might have a chance to repair the earth. You know what is kind of harsh when we don't do what we're supposed to do and people perish every day. So I admire brothers that go to Guadalajara. I admire brothers that and sisters that go to Guatemala. I admire people that will cross their street because they care about their neighbor. Perhaps what Jesus was trying to teach us in Luke 10 is that when you see somebody hurt and wounded, it's your job to repair the situation. 
Perhaps what he was trying to teach us is that it doesn't matter whether you're a Samaritan or you're a priest. If you pass by on the other side of the road, you extend hell into his life. You care more about yourself than them. I really think the difference between the Samaritan and the priest was the Samaritan cared more about what happened to the man who was beaten and robbed if he did not help him than he cared about what happened to him if he did. Saints, how would you pass that test? Do you care more about the people that are around you and what happens to them if you don't help? Or do you only care about the inconvenience to your time, the difficulties in your finances, what it means to you if you do? don't know what to do, open your eyes. There are hurt and dying people all around us. And we have a chance to extend God's kingdom in their life. Not beat them with a Bible. Not throw tracks at them. Feed them. Love them. Clothe them. Pray for them. Listen to them. Care for them. Don't treat them like lepers. Yes. But they do this and this and that. And this. I tell you the truth, God doesn't care. I can tell you, He does not care about your list of righteous, holy things that you think you are because you no longer do these things. David was an adulterer and a murderer and God said he's a man after his own heart because he did what God told him to do. Find somebody this week and extend the kingdom of God to them. Repair the world because the sulfur stew is waiting for everybody who will not follow the loving, compassionate pleas of our God. And if the ambassadors don't tell them, how will they know? Now stand on your feet. I'd like to Okay, real quick. Um, I know we're going to wrap it up. The kids are going, but I feel like the Lord has given me a testimony that's very important for me to give you my testimony. Um, I once went to keep names out of the story. I went with an old man on a trip far, far away, and we were riding in a white uh, chariot. And he gave me great advice that day. He said, the Lord will not allow you to have an idol because that white chariot started breaking down on the way to this trip far, far away. And um, he gave me that advice. He said, Gabriel, the Lord will not allow you to have idols in your life. If you start to have something in the idol, he will sift it out of you. That's great advice. I didn't really listen. Um, and so now it's today. And recently, Eric has been talking about tithing and giving the Lord what is the Lord's. And um, within me, an idol in my life has been finances and money. It just is, just to be honest with you guys. It, it's something that the Lord is beginning to sift out of me. Um, in the past two days, my car has been towed twice. Um, and it's, it's, it's weird because all of a sudden the Lord is like, this cannot be an idol in your life. The first time I got towed, I was like, Lord, I understand what you're doing. Um, I'm done with this. I will start tithing. Yes, Lord. And I felt like I got it right. Second time it happened, it's like, okay, what's really going on here? I ended up having to walk two miles to get my car out of being towed the second time. And I call Eric, and at this point, I'm really, really angry. I'm frustrated because it's fixing to cost me another X amount of dollars to get my car back out. I'm like, Eric, man, obviously the Lord is teaching me something, but I'm, I'm angry. I needed to just get this out. He said, brother, from an outside perspective, it's obvious that the Lord is sifting out of you something, and you need to be praying on your way there to take care of by the time you get there. Um, so I show up there, and the guy and I kind of have a spout, and I really wasn't praying to the Lord, but I was more arguing with him. And um, went to go pay. The guy didn't take a card, so I had to lift and go get cash. Um, so I'm walking to cash, and I'm like, Lord, okay, I accept your discipline in my life. Just please, at this point in time, I'm so frustrated. If you could just show me that this really is it's you that is doing this to me. I am not even kidding you. As soon as I said that, right around the corner pulled a guy who every single day at 3 o'clock I go to a prayer meeting and pray with, and his name was Kenny. And Kenny pulled around the corner, and I'm like, 
dude, what are you doing in the middle right now with this place in here? He's like, I, I, right around the corner is where I bought my car from, so I'm a car payment. I get inside the car, it is cold air conditioning, and I just got done walking two miles. I'm sweating with my dress shoes on, and I'm like, obviously this is the Lord. I say all of that to say this, that talking about sulfur stew and all the advice and wisdom that you're getting from a man that's standing in front of you, the wisdom that you're getting is very good advice. And if you're trying to do the things that God has told you to do, in his grace and mercy, he will sift out of you the very thing that you are not capable of taking care of so that you will not end up in that sulfur stew. Just give it to him, and, and that's exactly what's going to happen. That's a good testimony. God's not willing that any should perish. And whosoever calls upon his name will be saved. But you need to understand, that is not walking down an aisle saying, Jesus, save me. That's the beginning. Calling on his name will be saved means in every area of your life, you make him master, Lord. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, it must be a true statement. And Lord means owner and controller. And as long as you say, Lord, you own three-fourths of me, but not 25%. Lord, you own everything except my TV habits. Lord, you own everything except my finances. Lord, you own everything except this. He's not Lord, let's be honest. You know, he, he's, he's like trying to be Lord and you're in rebellion, right? Every time he reveals something to you, run to do it. That's my very best advice and it comes from the hardest head in the room. I mean, there is probably not a Christian in here with a harder head than mine. But when you get disciplined because he loves you enough, you learn to run straight to his presence. I want to tell you something else because we've got to close. When you feel that nagging at you that says, man, we don't got to go tonight. Mm. When you feel that nagging that says, were all these guys here before I got here? They must not have invited me. Those kind of thoughts, force yourself into fellowship. If the devil's trying to separate you, it's because he does not want you to get stronger. I'm telling you, this church will learn to step on his head. It will. But as long as you stay isolated, you stay weak. Don't be isolated. Y'all join hands. Let's pray. Let's act like Christians. You might even hug instead of just join hands. You can get close to each other. Most of us wear deodorant. And if we don't, there's forgiveness. There's mercy. Yeah, mercy is when you say, Mercy, my God! Why didn't he put on some deodorant? That's right. What's that? Holy One, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you are not a God that wants to burn people. Your patience, your slowness, as some understand it, means mercy, grace, and repentance for many. Give us a chance, Lord God, and we will tell them all. We will show them all. We will show everyone you bring in our path about your kingdom demonstrated in our lives. Refine us, Lord. Stretch our faith. Make us holy. Teach us to be like You. Lord, we submit to You. We want Your will in our lives. We want to say, when it's all said and done, we did the will of the Father. We achieved God's purpose in our generation. This is our heart's desire. Don't let us be deceived or go astray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.